Good day, everyone, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks very much for joining us. Kids across the Metro Detroit region are going back to school today, and a lot of them have already started early. But it's the first day of school unlike any other we've ever experienced. Some schools are welcoming kids back to the classroom. Many are offering some mix of in-person and virtual learning. And a lot of districts are going virtual only to keep kids safe during the pandemic. Families, of course, are coping with some of the most wrenching decisions they've had to make. If your school is offering in-person learning, do you send your kid to the classroom and risk exposure to the coronavirus? Do you try to balance working from home, helping out with virtual lessons, and the other demands of parenting all at the same time? And for parents who can't work from home, there isn't even a choice. Here to talk about all the things that students and parents and teachers and administrators are dealing with is a friend of the show who has a pretty exciting new job. Chastity Pratt is the new Education Bureau Chief for the Wall Street Journal. Chastity, welcome back to Detroit Today. Good morning, Detroit. (laughs) It's great to have you here. So you are now covering education nationally, but you're also a Detroiter and you're based here. So give us a sense about the ways that schools here in Southeast Michigan are handling this dilemma and how that compares to school openings around the country. Well, I think the biggest difference, Stephen, is um, many, if not most of our schools are starting like today after Labor Day. Across the country, you've seen um, some schools open as early as, you know, early August. Mm-hmm. So um, the schools in the south, um, southeast, have given uh, places like Michigan a glimpse at what was to come. Because, you know, you know, here in Detroit, we were able to watch schools across yeah. the south open and, and see what they were dealing with and make some changes if necessary. So I think that's the biggest difference. Um, but overall, schools and parents and educators are facing a lot of the same dilemmas, just like you said, to, to you know, go back or not to go back, uh, to delay or not to delay. And, you know, how do you prepare? All of these are issues that, you know, everyone is dealing with because of the pandemic. And you've seen uh, various, uh, you know, responses and plans. It's, you know, it's like a box of chocolates. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this school district across the street could be doing something totally different. The charter school, you know, across the way is doing something totally different. And that's because we've not seen any real national, federal um, guidelines or state mandates. So mm-hmm. districts have been left to, you know, go it alone and do what their um, community wants and thinks is best. So, so I have heard on the radio a couple of commercials for schools advertising the idea that they are offering in-person learning for for kids this fall and they say it as though it's a you know it's a selling point as that as though it gives them an advantage over other schools i believe these are these are charter schools and probably some private schools as well but it strikes me that that's kind of an odd idea, the idea of saying, well, in-person learning is an incentive to send your child to our school rather than to, to someplace else. And what I don't hear these schools saying is, well, here's how we'll make sure that 
your kid is safe, that that you won't send your child to our school and, and they, they might get sick or bring the virus virus home. It, it is a different time than any other time, but this pressure to have in-school learning is one of the really interesting dynamics to me. Well, I mean, we've seen it. The, the president was really pushing for it. Um, Betsy DeVos, who's from Michigan, is, is the U.S. education uh secretary uh, pushed for in-person learning. And I mean, let's just, let's just look at it, uh, you know, from our perspective here in, in Southeast Michigan, we have a lot of parents who are, um, they have to work, you know, not a lot of uh, people who can afford to say, uh, have someone watch their kid do schoolwork while they're out working at, in any number of service jobs or jobs that require them to be at work in person. So uh, in-person learning is really a draw from what I've seen in, in communities where parents just have to go to work and, and especially for the younger kids, right? You know, middle school, high school kids, uh, you know, are more middle school kids are becoming latchkey kids, right? High school kids, you know, go it alone, <laughs> autopilot, turn that computer on. Good luck, Johnny. <laughs> but um, in-person learning is really a draw when you have small kids. So elementary schools, uh, charter schools, private schools that have in-person learning for uh, K through five. So, you know, for some families, that is a draw because people have to go to work. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we've seen uh, schools deal with in-person learning differently. There are some that are going far, far beyond the state and federal recommendations for PPE and social distancing and masking and uh, testing or what we call health checks. And you have some schools that, you know, were right up against the opening date deciding on how to deal with all those and <laughs> throw in the cost, right? Mm. Some schools can and some schools can't afford all of those costs. Yeah. So. It, it, that's why you're you're seeing such a hodgepodge of approaches, uh, you know. And there are some families that are dealing with kids of all different ages. You might have a middle school kid, you might have a high school kid, you might have a college kid. Hmm. Think of all those different decisions, and um, you know, you might have two kids who go to the same school who might be able to go to school on a different day. How do you deal with that? Right, <laughs> so right. That's where this whole you know, it's becoming, it's sounding cliche now, but we are dealing with a back to school season uh, that calls for planning like none other we've seen. Yeah. And the wild card is what happens when there is an upsurge? If things go wrong, right? If things go so, so wrong a month from now after sending kids back to school, what happens? So, what we've seen in Detroit and across the country is as schools are planning their back-to-school plan, in there has to be a contingency plan. What if things go bad? What's our plan for testing, tracking, and maybe even closing down again? Right, right. I'm talking with Chastity Pratt, who is the Education Bureau Chief for the Wall Street Journal. Uh, We're talking about the first day of school, which is today for many people here in Metro Detroit. And it's the first day of school like none other we have had before in our lifetimes because of the pandemic and the requirements of 
the pandemic to make sure that kids and their parents and teachers and administrators all can be safe. We really want to hear from you today about how you're feeling about this first day of school. How are you feeling as your kids either head back to school buildings in for in-person learning across Metro Detroit or how are you feeling as your kids sit down maybe at the kitchen table with a with a laptop in order to interface with their teachers and other students in a virtual way. Uh, how confident are you that schools are doing this in a safe way? We especially want to hear from you, of course, if you're a parent, if you're a teacher, if you're somebody who's working in the schools, uh, let us know how confident you are that your school district or your school is taking the precautions that they should be taking. Uh, we also want to hear from you if you think all of this is a little misguided, if you think we're rushing the idea of in-person school. Are you a parent in a district that is going back and you think it's too early? Are you a teacher or an administrator in a district and you think that uh, it's too soon to go back to in-person classrooms? Also give us a call and tell us what your sense is of what your school district or your school is doing to keep kids safe. Uh, are they doing temperature checks for kids as they come through the door? Are they distancing in classrooms? I've seen some classrooms with plexiglass set up around desks, mm -hmm. which is a really interesting idea and way to, to, to keep kids apart. Uh, give us a call. Let us know what's going on in your district or in your school. 313-577-1019 is always the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter and put comments there, and we'll try to work them into the show here. Uh, Chastity, before we get to listeners, I want to get your assessment of how well we're prepared for this in Metro Detroit. I know there are a lot of different districts and then many, many more individual schools that are dealing with this and making these decisions. But do you, do you, based on what's happened in other states, do you think that, that we stand a pretty good chance because of preparation to be able to sustain in-person school? I, you know, when I think of the Detroit district and how hard – uh, Nikolai Vidi, the superintendent, has pushed to make sure that we have in-person school. I, I always think about, okay, <clears throat> that's great, and I know you've done a lot of things, but uh, but is it going to be is it going to be enough? Are we are we ready for today? So I think that the schools here in Detroit, um, from what we could tell, we had a reporter here on the ground going to Detroit schools during the summer and. Um, looking at what we've seen across the country, we're doing the same thing everyone else is doing, right? The PPE, the cleaning, the training teachers, uh, all of that. But here's the difference that I think parents need to understand. A lot of these efforts could be undone by what is happening in the community, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Outside of school, <laughs> you know? What, are you taking that mask off and walking down the street or going to the mall and hanging out in big crowds when you're not in school? You know, because all it takes is for a couple kids to get the virus and bring it back to school and spread it around. Mm -hmm. The school can't do anything about community infection rates outside of the school. That has to be something that's kept top of mind, too. You know, yeah, you can give the kids the, the temperature check and before they come in. But if mom sees 
said, Billy is feeling groggy in the morning, and she gives him a fever reducer and sends him to school anyway, and he has the virus, and boom, bam, you mm-hmm. know? So the things, the practices, the PPE, the social distancing, the hand washing that happens outside of school has to be, uh, you know, prioritized in order to keep the schools open. Yeah. And I think that's the part that needs some amplification. Yeah. Yeah. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the uh, on the phones. Call and tell us about your first day of school in your household. Are you sending your kids off back to school? Are you sitting them down at a table with a laptop and helping them figure out virtual learning? And what do you think about all of these choices? What are the things that uh, are going through your mind as we get back to school here in Southeast Michigan. Let's start with Mark in Chelsea. Mark, welcome to the show. Hi, good morning. Thanks hey. for having me. Sure. Um, I have a adult son who is in special ed who is uh, doing virtual today. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd prefer him to be face-to-face for the simple fact that there are several European countries, Sweden notably, notably being the first one, that have their children in school face-to-face and all of the literature, the medical literature, shows that children are not as susceptible as the elderly are. Mm-hmm. And the very, very few actually come down with anything. And if you have a good immune system through healthy diet, then you're, you're not going to be worried or troubled by any exposure because the immune system is strong. There's a 98.8 recovery rate, and yet the media, shame on them for constantly reporting the death rate when, in fact, they should be talking about the survival rate. You know, Mark, uh, and I'm glad that that things are working in a way that that work for your son, Um, but, but some of the things that you're saying here don't make a lot of sense. So, yes, it's true that children are not as susceptible to the consequences of the virus as adults. We don't know that they don't get it, but certainly they are able to get it and bring it home to parents and other siblings who might have higher incidences of, of sharp consequences or death because of this. I mean, isn't, isn't the concern not just children, but the adults who interact with children? Think of the adults who interact with children in schools, teachers, administrators, staff, faculty, those kinds of uh, folks. I mean, it's not just about children and their susceptibility. It's about all of us, isn't it? Are you still there, Mark? Still here. Yeah, go ahead. Can you? Yeah, go First ahead. and foremost, there's not been one clinical research lab or hospital that has followed what's called Koch's postulates. Robert Koch developed the postulates in the 1800s, late 1800s, and for the last 150 years, it's been the gold standard to determine whether a disease is caused by a particular specific pathogen. No one has has done Koch's postulates on the so-called SARS-CoV-2. It's not been done. So you officially, medically, scientifically cannot say SARS-CoV-2 is actually the cause of what we're calling COVID-19. That's fact. That's scientific fact. Well, that's so not, Mark, not opinion. Mark, I, th- that's very interesting. But how many people do you know who've died during the pandemic? None. 
I know. And it, I have, I have Mark, Mark, several doctor friends Mark, and nurses that have well, told me. Mark, Mark I know. Mark, <laughs> I know. I know eight. Eight people who were alive in March and are dead now. That's all I need to know. I think that's all any of us really needs to know. Well, can I interject for just a second? Yeah, go I ahead, think Chastity. There's also, we also have to, um, you know, look at the fact that, yeah, there are places in Europe that opened and saw a few cases in the beginning. But, you know, a Google search will show you that there have been teachers, several of them, who died in Sweden. And uh, they, they did very little PPE and closing of schools there. And, yeah, their rate was low. But there have been several teachers who died there. Yeah. And that in itself, when you get teachers in the classroom with children who might not be as susceptible, who might have it and not have the symptoms, and they spread it to the teachers, that's, like you said, Stephen, that's where teachers start to not want to be there. Yeah. <laughs> because they're looking at the children as super spreaders. You, you could get it and not know it and spread it to the older older teachers and people sure. um, who have it. That is, that's the, 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 the problem. Yeah. <laughs> that's the crux of it. Yeah, and, and, you know, Mark, I'm glad you listened. I'm glad you called. But I'll tell you right now, my patience has gotten real short for people who aren't taking this seriously. And I, I hope that you can educate yourself and and start to respond in a way that is about preserving life for not just yourself and your family, but for other people. All of us have lost a tremendous amount uh, during this pandemic, and and the idea that this is something that is just not a big deal. I, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm, I'm really just out of out of patience for that point of view. But again, I do appreciate you listening. And I appreciate the call. Let's go to John on the east side. John, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, no kids in school, uh, but um, just uh, vi- returned from a visit with a retired Detroit public teacher school. Uh, and I have two sisters that are presently um, in the challenge of educating one in special education mm-hmm. on the southwest side. And she's not fluent in uh Latino, so she uh, has some real challenges because none of their, none of the kids, none of the parents want their kids to go face to face. So she has to figure out how to teach five, six, and seven-year-olds via computer. So it's very challenging. Uh, I, I had one comment to Mark. We know so little about this, and mm-hmm. what we do know is that very healthy basketball players are now showing up with inflamed heart conditions. And there's just so much we don't know. Yeah, I mean, my it's not. For, yeah, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. My question is, uh, how is the the secretary of education affecting education nationally? Uh, that's a great question, John. You know, uh, Betsy DeVos has said a bunch of things about what she thinks school districts ought to do. She's made some veiled threats about funding for school districts that don't go back to to in-person learning. I don't know that they have a lot of credibility because I don't think she can actually do that. But but Chastity Pratt, you cover these things nationally. Give us a give us a sense of what DeVos's actual role is in deciding what what happens here. 
So the federal uh, government, the U.S. Department of Education, provides maybe 6 to 8% of a school district budget, depending on how many students a district has, uh, students who are um, at risk or get free or reduced lunch have, uh, you know, school districts apply for federal aid to help children in need who have, um, you know, needs like free lunch, uh, need teacher, uh, reading assistance, things of that, that nature. So Title I focus is what I'm, I'm referring to. Mm-hmm. Um, districts, I mean, you know, in a place like Detroit where you have a lot of uh, low-income children, they're going to have a larger um, portion of their budget come from the feds. But it's still like maybe 10%. Uh, so when she makes the threats of, well, I'm going to hold back federal funding if you don't go back in person. Now, 6 to 10% could be a big chunk of money. I'm not saying that it's not, but I think people need to understand that uh, she can't shut down your school district. You know, we still have local control, mm-hmm. and uh, schools are a creature of each state. Uh, so there's that. Um, the other thing, though, is that people need to keep their eyes on is that Congress is back in session today. And on their uh, agenda is talking about relief funds again, right? They have not decided what to do about giving states and schools uh, more relief funds to deal with the pandemic, uh, to buy PPE, to uh, fix ventilation in schools if you need, that sort of thing. So that could be um, a bigger deal than what DeVos is talking about. Mm -hmm. Because, again, if she threatens, your federal funding, that's going to take a while. It could be the end of the school <laughs> semester or school year before any of those threats really come to fruition and hit schools in the pocketbook. But what the Congress is uh, debating as far as relief funds could be an immediate assistance uh, to uh, schools or could um, lead to schools continuing to dig into the reserves or their operating budgets to deal with the pandemic. So I think that's a bigger deal right now. Mm. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we are going to continue talking with Chastity Pratt of The Wall Street Journal about the reopening of schools, and we're going to hear more from you, Sabrina in Detroit, and other folks on the phones will get to you if you want to join them. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter, put comments there, we'll try to work them in as well. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. WDET is a community service of Wayne State University, a premier public research university in the heart of Detroit. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Remember, also, a little later in the program, at about uh, quarter to 10. In fact, uh, Detroit Mayor Mike Duggan is going to join the show. We're going to talk about the efforts to make sure that Detroiters get counted in the 2020 census, what will happen if we have a significant undercount, uh, and what efforts the city is making now that there is an even tighter deadline to get that census filled out. Also, remember, if you are listening to this show and you have not filled out the 2020 census, you need to go do it 
right now. Uh, my guest right now is Chastity Pratt, an Education Bureau Chief for the Wall Street Journal. We are talking about the first day of school, the first day of school like no other that uh, any of us can remember because of the pandemic and all of the choices that parents and teachers and administrators have to make about how school can look, how school can function right now. We want to hear from you about your experiences uh, with uh, the opening of school. Are you sending your kids back off to school today? Are you sending them back to physical school? Uh, or are you sitting them down at a table with a laptop and getting them ready for yet more of the virtual learning that we saw after the pandemic started in the spring. As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and Facebook and put comments there. We'll work them into the show. Let's go to Sabrina in Detroit. Sabrina, welcome to the show. Good morning. Hi. How are you? I'm good. I, How are you? I, I'm good. I don't have any uh, small children in school. My daughter is in her second year in college, but I have grandchildren mm -hmm. who are in DPS, and their school has decided to do the, um, the virtual thing, which I think is safer for them, safer for the teachers, the administrators, and those staff employees that work inside of the building, because for most people, they're only concerned about the children, but we're talking about everybody who is exposed in that building. I think it's really important that we think about the workers who have to keep the grounds of the schools clean, do the lunchrooms, the after-school care, the beginning school care. So I think it's important for everyone to be safe, mm -hmm. and I'm valuing all lives that are involved in this. Yeah. And I just feel like um, I know Florida schools and Georgia schools opened earlier than Michigan schools. Uh -huh. As a recruiter, those are my territories. Normally, yeah. I would be on the road in some of those schools right now doing presentations for recruitment. That's not going to happen. Our hmm. college is not sending our admissions counselors out wow. to um, be exposed. Now, I think, you know, before I used to be scared to go in schools because of school shootings. Now we have another pandemonium issue as a pandemic, right. you know, worried about, you know, the viral infection in the airports, on right. planes, just everything. Right. And so I'm just thinking, you know, we need to pause, slow down, and let this thing go away and, and stop it as much as we can. There have been too many deaths here in Detroit. Yeah. No, you are not And, and I know Sabrina. most of them are dealing with a, a large percentage of those deaths are African American. Of course they are, especially here in the city of Detroit where we're 85%. Uh, of the population, and and I want to give a nod to the city of Detroit, uh, which last week had a memorial set up on on Belle Isle for the fifteen hundred or so Detroiters who have lost their lives uh, during the pandemic uh, as well. And again, uh, I want to say this again: this idea that this is not serious, this idea that this is not taking from us personally and taking from us as a community. Uh, is really an obnoxious notion at this point. Um, uh, all of us who are living through this know what uh, what this disease is is doing to our to our city and our state and our in our country. Uh, so, Sabrina, I, I appreciate the call uh, and your thoughts. Let's go to Terry in Harrison Township. Terry, welcome to the show. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you? 
I'm good. Thanks for taking the call. Um, so I live in Harrison Township, and my 10th grader, uh, 10th grader Gabriel, goes to um, Lakeview High School in St. Clair Shores, and my um, 8th grader, Alexandra, goes to Eaton Academy in Birmingham. So we have quite the logistical situation going on, and I'm a student, a grad student in the School of Social Work at Wayne State. So all three of us are in school right now, mm-hmm. and um, thankfully... Um, Gabriel School, um, <clears throat> excuse me, Lakeview Public Schools offered us a choice, um, and it was really hard to make that decision, um, and there was some loophole being a school of choice parent as well, mm. um, and not to get into the politics of all of that, but they offered um, virtual or um, a hybrid schedule, which we chose to do hybrid. Um, for my daughter, Alexandra, it was the same thing, so we had choices, which made me feel very comfortable, but um alexandra's dyslexic and that's why she goes to school Mm -hmm. um it's a good half an hour from our home Mm -hmm. and making this decision as a parent was really hard because it costs a fortune to send her there even though she's there on grants and scholarships and i was hoping that this would be a transition year for her but then seeing as what's happening to education right now and especially uh, uh, a child with a learning disability who would fall under the realm of special education should i put her back into public school um, I just couldn't do it. She wouldn't be receiving the services. She wasn't receiving the services that she needed as it was in public school. And um, it was really, it, it yeah. all summer long, I researched, I looked into other school districts because, you know, thankfully I, I, I do get a choice. I could send her to any school so, so long as they were offering open enrollment in Macomb County. Yeah. Um, being that it's a private school and Eaton is in Oakland County, um, you know, and private schools have different rules. Um, I have to say Eaton Academy is doing a great job with everything that they're offering for these students. Um, there's less than 10 kids and in so, the classroom. They, and so your, so your choice really was to, to double down on this, on this private school um, rather, than, rather than risk the, the, the public schools. Is that right, Terry? Oh, especially for my eighth grader who's severely dyslexic. Yeah. Um, being as that she hasn't been in school for six months, and Eaton Academy did a fantastic job with their in-school virtual learning, whereas Lakeview Public School didn't do, and it, it's it's nobody's fault. You know, this was this was something that we have never dealt with. And right. you know, I've had kids in school. I have an older one who's 19, and I've had kids in school, you know, for a long time now, and no one could deal with this. The the Zoom and the Google Meetup fatigue is a real thing i had my first two classes last week and being in the school of social work and being a people person and (laughs) you know as a social worker we have to make contact with people and it it was it it's not what i'm used to i've i have always you know i've been in school for a long time and i've always shied away from online classes because it doesn't work for me and these are not the types of my children are and i that my kids are losing I'm not really sure how to articulate this but I I see that sparkle in their eyes becoming yeah, dull it's it's I, Terry there's no question that there's a big difference between the the schooling that we're used to having our kids in in terms of in mm-hmm. person and this this virtual learning I I have uh, two children. One of them is doing just fine with the virtual learning. It's not a. It's not much of a transition at all. The other is just not able to learn that way and needs that 
that face-to-face uh, instruction. Uh, Chastity Pratt, uh, uh, Terry's story about her children, her different children and the different choices, I feel like that's what everybody is uh, is struggling with right now. There's so many different <laughs> topics that <laughs> she brought up there, right? Mm-hmm. So there's, there's special ed, right? Mm-hmm. Schools are and have been struggling with how to deal with special education students because let's just face it, there are life services that are offered in school for special needs kids that you can't really do online, right? Um, and so there's that, and schools are still sorting through that. There's, you know, learning loss. Are, how do you measure it? Kids haven't been in person since March. And, uh, you know, I think it's fairly well recognized that the abrupt change to online learning uh, led to a lot of learning loss, a lot of snafus. Uh, yes, schools have had six months to figure out some of those snags, but it's new territory for everybody, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Stephen, this year I was both a student or student and a teacher mm-hmm. <laughs> and a parent <laughs> during the spring. And let me tell you, as a teacher, having to switch from in-person to online abruptly and learning how to do the platforms and learning how to engage kids, make sure everybody's paying attention. It is a lot. (laughs) And then there's just the fact that because it's new to all of us, um, most of us, how do you um, not only get the education right, but how do you measure it? How do you know that they're really getting it? And um, it's a different way of learning. Not everyone uh, can sit in front of a computer for that amount of time. Um, you know, my daughter is a senior this year. <laughs> She's like, Ma, I have to sit in front of this computer from 8 a.m. to 3. It's <laughs> crazy. Yeah, that's just uh, But, you know, a desperate time call for desperate measures. And um, schools are doing a lot, doing, uh, you know, just adopting a lot of new teaching strategies. Um, but it, it's, it's not going to be perfect, and uh, you have some teachers who are resistant to it, and they, uh, the teachers' unions, there's the wild card, right, yep. are, have stepped in to say, you can't make everybody go back. People have underlying conditions. Some people are just, what's the, what's the new word, COVID-noid, yeah. COVID paranoid. <laughs> That's right. They don't want to do it. Yeah. Um, and, no, I and understand DPS, all of that. Yeah. yeah, DPS, you have the teachers' union negotiate, you know, if if the kid, if, I'm sorry, if the teacher has to go back and can't find childcare, they need to be able to bring their kid to school and learn on the laptop in the corner. I mean, you know, there's a lot of adjustments being made, and it's going to be a while, if not years, before we know the full um, impact. Uh, are there go- is there going to be an M step? Yeah, you know, right? A standardized How do you do testing? testing. That's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. How do you evaluate teachers? There's, you know, an evaluation mandate. How do you evaluate teachers when you thrust this upon them? Yeah. Um, so it, it's going to be years before we learn the full impact of this, and you know, the ways in which schooling is going to change forever are still being contemplated as well. Yeah. Yeah. I want to take one more call before we end here. Annette in West Bloomfield. Annette, what's on your mind? Hi, good morning. Go ahead. Hello, good morning. How are you? Very good. Uh, I also um, have had half my people, uh, four people have died from Mm -hmm. the virus. Mm -hmm. Uh, Two are Caucasian, two are African-American. And then again, half my people, two 
uh, four again. Four were two were Caucasian and two were African American that got through it. But you know, afterwards, all the pain and sorrow and physical things they have to do and mental things, it's very difficult. I have a daughter who is a speech language therapist out in Oregon. She does the online teaching, mm-hmm. and it is great, but it's very hard for her to teach the children who are under five years old because, one, they don't have the electronic devices. Their parents may be economically uh, challenged and uh, have teaching disabilities themselves. But I praise the fact that she's still at this point teaching and she is working very diligently hard and does twice as much work for these uh, families Mm -hmm. to help them. But I'm past the age of having the children in school, but I worry about most my daughter and son at work. I do have the other thing that um, I believe I was able to send my children to private school. They have electronic devices when Mm -hmm. they were growing up. They had uh, a little bit of an advantage over children in most public schools. And so, therefore, um, I don't know how they manage. Now, me, electronically, maybe I couldn't have helped them as much, but somehow we managed. And I sent them to private day school for Jewish children, and they were fine, but they're past that age. I am still worried because I'm a neonatal nurse, and I haven't seen any real cases that come through the hospital downtown in Detroit. But at the same time, I have heard about some of the children who've come in with multiple other health care issues that got sick. um, And possibly, I don't hear the end results because we can't talk about, you know, what's going on on other people's units. But we do have a higher number of African-American children who've gotten sick and died. And Mm. children in general who have my kind of multiple things they were born with and they are dealing with anywhere from respiratory to where they live economically. Yeah. And that, I, I mean, I, yeah, I, I really appreciate the call and I, that, that perspective, especially that last point you're making about the danger that does exist to children that this is is a big deal. That's right. I mean, if you're a child who has other, uh, medical conditions and 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 lots of kids do. This is just as dangerous to you as it is uh, as it is to adults. So, Annette, I appreciate the call and the thoughts there. Okay, Chastity Pratt, Education Bureau Chief of the Wall Street Journal, was really great to have you here. Good luck with your first day of school in your household, and uh, and keep up the good reporting. Thanks very much for being with us. Anytime. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, Detroit Mayor Mike Duggan is going to join me to talk about the city's efforts to make sure that everyone fills out the census before it is too late. Stay with us for more Detroit Today.